Welcome to Return to Roshar, where we speak again the ancient oaths by going through Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive books and put everything into a wider Cosmere context. So a spoiler warning is in effect for every Cosmere book published at the time of recording. And that means up to Rhythm of War for now. My name is D, and I'm joined by Cody to discuss Chapter 25, The Butcher. Kaladin flashback episode where it opens up to the townspeople reflecting on how it's unnatural what Liren does. And we get a bit of insight into some of Kaladin's thoughts at this time. And we get Rashon's introduction, which is very curt and kind of rude. But I will throw it away to Cody for a read-in. It ain't right what they do, the woman's voice said. You ain't supposed to cut into folk. Peering in to see what the Almighty place hidden for a good reason. Kel froze in an alleyway between two houses and hearthstone. The sky was wan overhead. Winter had come for a time. The weeping was near, and the high storms were infrequent. For now, it was too cold for plants to enjoy the respite. Rockbuds spent winter weeks curled up inside their shells. Most creatures hibernated, waiting for the warmth to return. Fortunately, seasons generally lasted only a few weeks. Unpredictability. That was the way of the world. Only after death was there stability. So the Ardens taught, at least. And that is my first highlight I have for this chapter, that only after death is there stability. And I don't know, for some reason when I read that, the first thing that popped into my mind was the beginning of Rhythm of War when he's confronted by Moash and just that the weariness and that's part of the temptation I think of him to just let go is that finally like stability. Yeah well especially when you think about Kaladin by the time of Rhythm of War all that tumultuous back and forth part of an army a slave part of an army feeling like you're not really doing anything in that war kind of a useless fight there's a lot of draw to that sort of mentality and it just speaks to his trauma dying to go fight in a eternal struggle doesn't seem very stable to me but it doesn't <laughs> yeah he's even just that traumatized already at his age to believe that there's only stability after death kind of a bit dramatic <laughs> i also have highlighted the part where kaladin thinks that his father wouldn't like him to go walking out in front of these people that are talking smack about his dad because it would cause embarrassment. And what does he do? Just does it. <laughs> and he doesn't just walk out. He he definitely hard eyes them. And... Yeah, it gives him a little bit of a stinky glare. And it's like, all right. <laughs> but I believe this is through this conversation. This is the first indication we get that there's a belief that the spheres were stolen and not actually a real gift from Wistiel. Well, and they kind of give a little recollection of that too, but they do say a few glyphs, not a proper will, and whose hand wrote those glyphs. So it's like they're kind of already insinuating that maybe it wasn't, which I mean, we find out later is true. Yeah, the end of that little paragraph there, 
they're saying like i'm telling you it ain't right what they do like not only i think is she here you know referring to the fact that oh they were stolen spheres this isn't right you know he fudged it but you know this is also them talking about oh it's not right that the city lord didn't actually have a proper woman to be his scribe and write his legal documents and do this you kind of get the impression that i think there's other places at some point in the series that kind of confirm it that since he didn't have a female scribe for him that Liren would typically kind of help Wistiel out with some of the legal documents and you know they were friends yeah so it's already kind of been this little bit dubious mm-hmm. city people's eyes relationship that a man is having another man help him with writing and reading and legal documents and then out of this relationship suddenly he has all these fears it's just like it's a bunch of levels to them of sus yeah and I gotta be honest it's not unfounded especially in this particular instance because he did kind of it was a prior agreement but he he made Wistio make good on it Uh we don't really have Wistio's point of view to be like yeah I agreed to that at the time so as he walks away from these women and gives them the side eye and then they flee back inside the building we get him reflecting and then this is kind of then brought back up in his conversation and once he meets up with Hesina here but they find it unnatural that you know you have this doctor here who will perform medicine through learning and education and science but they'll clamor all over gift wards and charms and all these you know kind of um superstitious yeah superstitious things and one of the things that I think has really stuck out to me like in reading for the podcast here and kind of like just that different way of thinking with note-taking and stuff. There's so many things, especially in these flashback characters, that I feel like Brandon has nailed with Kaladin and the relation of, like, teenage boy and, like, the parent relationship and just nailing that mindset. Because as Cal's walking up to his mom and they're talking here, and he's like, yeah, my mom's way prettier than that baker lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it definitely has uh, little kid vibes. My dad can beat up your dad. Yeah. I have to say, I hope we get more Hasina book five. I just don't know if the story is going to really be optimal for that, but we have just not gotten enough of her wit. Uh, the only thing that I have now is that Kaladin notes that you have to watch yourself when you talk to Hasina because she likes to twist words about. Yeah. It's also interesting that she doesn't really address the accusation of the spheres being stolen. She kind of dodges that question in her talk with Kaladin. She's just kind of quiet for a minute and then moves on. You gotta wonder if she suspects, if she knows. I'm imagining she is conflicted about it as well, whatever her state of knowledge is, but... Can't quite recall where it is. Maybe you might be able to help remind me. Liren notes, I think it's when he's drunk, that we stole the spheres. Now, I'm not sure if that's a reference to him and the family because of what he's done by proxy, or if it was a plan that he and Hesina had hatched out. I'd like to think the latter, because they don't seem like the type to do things behind each other's back. Uh-huh. As a note to what you were getting at there, I think she knows. They think he wrote out that order from Bright Lord Wistiel and had the old man sign it when he didn't know what he was doing. His mother was silent. I hate their lies and gossip. Cal said. I hate them for making up things about us. Don't hate them, Cal. They're good people. In this case, they're just repeating what they've heard. She glanced at the city lord's manor, distant upon a hill above the town, thinking about it that maybe she does know, and that's why she's like, don't hate them, because they're right. Yeah, don't hate them for spreading lies that they're not actually spreading. Yeah. (laughs) I do have highlighted some things that Hesina says. Go for it. Such as, before that, where she's 
silent about the accusations. They're talking a little bit about how Kaladin thinks that they hate his father because he fails too often. And then she replies with, there is that. If a glyph ward fails, you can blame it on the will of the Almighty. And if your father fails, it's his fault. Or if that's their perception, they'll never actually hate your father. He's too useful. But he'll never really be one of them. That's the price of being a surgeon. Having power over the lives of men is an uncomfortable responsibility. And Kaladin doesn't quite reflect on these words quite as well as he maybe should. He feels like even in his own company, even in Bridge 4 sometimes, that depression makes him feel like he doesn't belong. Mm -hmm. So even as a surgeon, even as a soldier, he still has power over the lives of people. And he notes that when he kills Parshendi listeners or fused. I think he maybe should have reflected on those words a bit more at the time. He hates how they feel about his dad but doesn't reflect on why they might feel that way yeah i don't know he's not really hated because he's a hero but he just kind of feels that ostracization and i think this is a big part of kaladin's motivation whether he fully realizes it which i think he is somewhat aware of it but like he very much so wants to fit in and i think an incredible amount of his motivation early on is based on the desire to just be normal and to fit in. And yeah, you see that here, like he's struggling so hard. It's like when he's de internally debating here in this conversation with his mom, it keeps coming back to, but I won't fit in. If I choose the life of a surgeon, I'm choosing a life of ostracization, of never being one of them. I'm choosing to be like my dad, of being the awkward outsider. And he does not want that. Yeah, he replies to Hasina's comment there by saying, and if I don't want that responsibility, what if I just want to be something normal? Mm -hmm. And then he notes a soldier. The weird obsession with soldiering in this planet in the Cosmere is one thing. <laughs> just above that section, there's a line that sticks out that just like really popped out to me like just now. Because right before their talk, it's when him and his mom are rehashing the part about what people believe and how it's easier to believe, you know, just go with the easy glyph forward. Cal considered that. I think they hate him because he fails too often. And when you look at Kaladin's character later on, especially when he gets to his fourth oath, and keeping that in mind with his desire to be accepted and fit in and, you know, wanting to protect these people, I know he feels like he's failing too often at protecting people. And that line just really popped out to me right now. Like, this is a struggle for him of failing at saving people. In this case, with his dad, it's through surgery. And then later for him, it's through, you know, trying to protect people with the spear and surgery. Yeah, for sure. There's not many pages to this chapter, but there's a lot of that foreshadowing in there where it kind of alludes to how he feels later on. And we also know this is after he's failed to save that girl. This is what, probably one to two months since then that now at this point that he failed to save that girl that fell out of the tree and you know, bled out. So he at this point has had his first real taste of failing to save a patient and you know, I don't know if we ever really get any more discussion about, I think his name is Harl, the father of the daughter, like of their relationship after this point, if, you know, but in the moment he was very upset, obviously, and we don't know if there's been continued backlash might not be the right word for it, but, you know, like persistent amnesty or bad feelings because Cal didn't successfully save her, or even if it there isn't that he's just perceiving it that way. Yeah. A lot of internalizing small failures, or even not even failures, just things that happened.
think the next kind of thing I was really looking at was he really starts internally just contemplating the two paths. So he's been secretly practicing a bit with the spear and what does he want to do? Like he does enjoy learning, but you know, like as he just talked about, it's going to come down to, you know, does he want that life of seclusion? And then he starts thinking about Laurel and how she'd been kind of, it's obvious they were kind of hoping they would get married and that would help raise his stakes in the world. But he's like, well, if I did marry her, you know, there's a good chance we could have a light-eyed kid and then my kid's going to outrank me and I'll really feel awkward then because I'll be possibly the lowest-ranked person in the whole family. You know, everyone will be more important than me. He's like, maybe that's why she was trying to push me to war, because then I really could go in a shard, and then we'd be equal standing, which equal is not the right word for if he won a shard blade, he would be, I believe, a higher rank at that point. Yeah. Because he would automatically get land holdings, so she doesn't even technically have land. So, and then, yeah, like everyone, he's like, I didn't think I had to think about it that hard. It seemed so far away, and now it's really immediate, even though he's still only 13. It's not necessarily super immediate. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, Scaldon's continuing to internally debate with himself and feeling, he's like, well, you know, I am still young. I have at least a few years before the surgeons will take me, so I don't have to make the decision yet. But he's like, but if I'm going to become a soldier, I'd have to do that before I went and took the test. He's like, what would my father do if I just, like, left? And, you know, something that does come up, He wondering if he'd be able to face the look of disappointment he'd get from his dad if he became a soldier. And, you don't get over that anytime soon. Spoilers. No. No, it's not even until after, at the end of book four, mm-hmm. that they really kind of reconcile that. I can't even remember the exact of the conversation, but it's like, you can protect people in your way, and I'll protect people in mine, mm-hmm. and we'll just have to be okay with that. Yeah. I mean, pretty much from here, you know, the last thing as he's thinking about, could he face his father? Here comes Liren. As if in response to his thoughts. Poof. The nice way of saying, speak of the devil. <laughs> Poof, your daddy issues have arrived. Yeah. I do like to note how Hasina likes to look on the good side by saying it could be a good thing he didn't send word ahead. He doesn't feel like everyone needs to dote on him, which is not true. Hasina is definitely kind of like the TN. She's like the optimistic, try to like look on the bright side. And Liren and Kaladin definitely share the uh, the pessimism with Liren's like that or he's just a jerk. Yeah. I'm leading towards jerk. <laughs> yeah, because what I have highlighted next is Hasina saying... When she glances at Cal saying, don't let your father's words unnerve you. He always gets pessimistic at times like this. I do not. Name one other time. And then she gives him a look, meeting her parents. <laughs> and then he just mutters, let's hope that doesn't go half as poorly. Yeah, so here we get the first dimension, though, the namesake of the chapter here. Blaren's like, I, it always makes me feel like I'm throwing a handful of stones into a game of breakneck. Will we throw the queen or the tower? I don't know if we ever get an explanation of the rules of breakneck. Is this the game that Gelb is when he's gambling outside of the Pananeum waiting on oh. Shalon and he's like cheated and won all the spheres from the guards and is this what they're playing? Are they playing breakneck? I feel like that might be the only other time we see this game come up potentially. We have three instances of it being played. Kaladin and his family played Breakneck during his youth in Hearthstone. Seth observed games of Breakneck in a fire moss den in Bornwater. That's what I felt like most of these references might be. You know, you get a tavern scene or something, and there in the corner is someone playing Breakneck. And then the next instant is Vale is very skilled at Breakneck and played it in bars at Urethiru. She developed a reputation and few people were willing to play against her because Shallan's memory 
Breakneck is played with stones and involves throws, tosses, and draws. Although it is a betting game, players do not wager on the aspects of the game. Instead, they bet on the hand that they hold after all the throws and draws. And there are only three known types of throws. The first is the tower, and it's made up of three pairs, which is an outright loss. The second is a queen, composed of two trios, resulting in an outright win. And the final is the butcher, which is a, made of a trio and a pair. And that's all we know. So after I said that, I think they were playing a card game. Gelb was. Yeah, Gelb was playing a card game. I want to know more about Breakneck now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on, Brandon. Where's like the officially licensed Breakneck game? <laughs> chop, chop. Get on that. But So they got to rush to the square because they want to be there for the first speech. Yeah. And Tien has already beaten there. And not only has Tien beaten them there, he also has his customary pile of rocks. Oh, of course. This morning I was trying to go through all the bins of things I've saved from my childhood, you know, that have just been in my back storage room and trying to get rid of a bunch of it. And I have like two entire boxes of just rocks of various types. Most of them are like some kind of geode or crystal or something. And it's not just like rock rocks, but it's like, yep, I got my box of rocks. I got to save, you know. (laughs) The town that I live in was built over top of a long, long time battleground between a few different native tribes. So there's like, when you start digging through some dirt, you'll find uh, arrowheads and random tools and axes. So I've got boxes of the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Living out on a farm, there's really not much to do except dig in the dirt. <laughs> so the question is, would that be like Tien's, like, with, with that kind of a rock, would he, finding a weapon rock, would that excite him? Or be like, <laughs> or would that excite Kaladin? Like, who would that excite? <laughs> I think we'd get a little mix of both. Tien would be excited because of the material and how cool some of these arrowheads look. Like, there's swirling patterns in a lot of them. They're not really made out of just random rock. But then Kaladin would get excited if he put it on a staff. <laughs> so yeah, Rashawn arrives this at least as far as kaladin is concerned is like the penultimate defining moment of his life like this is what puts everything into motion which is i'd say a little bit up for debate but it definitely is a key pivoting point yeah it brings kaladin into some dark thoughts about light eyes and it starts that sort of downward slope that gets him to the point where he's not trusting any light eyes in way of kings even when he gets imprisoned after the duel in words of radiance he's saying that all light eyes are the same even dalinar and yeah at this point you can still see that he has that like supreme optimism when it comes to light eyes like that hero complex as shown is pulling in in his carriage a man riding a horse led the carriage and its soldiers forward to the town while most of the wagons continued up to the manor. Cal grew increasingly excited as the carriage rolled slowly into place. Would he finally get to see a real, light-eyed hero? The word around town claimed it was likely that the new city lord would be someone King Gavilar, or High Prince Sadius, had promoted because he had distinguished himself in the wars to unite Alethkar. How wrong could you be? I literally had that highlighted with the same note. It's a good thought, Paladin, but uh, no, no, not a hero. (laughs) Not a hero at all. That is our beautiful foreshadowing to the moment we find out Rashon is responsible for Moash's 
grandparents? Yes, it's his grandparents, the silversmiths. Yeah, this is where you get in some of those like weird, like not a love triangle. I don't know. Like <laughs> a hate triangle, drama triangle, how you want to word these. You know, there's so many of these like interesting triangles that Brandon likes to set up. So like in this case, you know, or this is more, this is like a pentagon or something like a pentagram. But like, so Rashone imprisons Moash's grandparents who then die in prison, making Rashone hate Elokar because Elokar was in charge of the kingdom allowing it. And when then Dalinar and Gavilar return, then Dalinar punishes Rashon by banishing him here, who he then makes Tien join the army, so Kaladin goes with him, and Tien dies, so he blames Rashon, but yet Dalinar sent Rashon, so it's like, is it Dalinar's fault? It's just, you get these interesting triangles, it's kind of like the same thing then with Shallan and Kaladin and Helloran. Oh god. That whole situation, because it's like, like, Brandon just loves to set up these, like, really complicated, like, (laughs) everyone's kind of involved, and it's kind of everyone's fault in a weird way, and, like, is good in the sense that it gets to the point of, like, you know, you can't fully ever blame, like, one person for, like, everyone's choices affect everyone else to a degree. Like, it's just such a, the butterfly effect. It's this huge ripple, and that's one of the problems with revenge is there's always someone you could potentially continue your revenge upon and that you never will have find satisfaction through revenge. You kind of see the differences. Shallan realizes, you know, eventually that it wasn't Amaram that killed Helleran, it was Kaladin, but yet, you know, Kaladin was defending his men and defending himself and so she doesn't end up really holding it against him or deciding like she has to seek revenge for Hellerand. but so Rashon comes out wearing his leather kilt or as they like to call it a takama i love the image of a, just a leather kilt i guess in this case his is gold so i don't know what exactly maybe it's actual like gold do we get any comment on who this older woman with braided hair is is it just some kind of maybe a scribe or something I mean, it's pretty quickly that he announces the plan to marry Laurel, isn't it? So I, you wouldn't think he was married, and I don't think we get any bit about his wife. No. Oh, having a wife that then dies, because, you know, hmm. so... I mean, if anything, it's probably a nursemaid? Nurse, maybe it's a scribe. Maybe he, you know, actually has a scribe. Yeah, probably just a scribe. Huh. Yeah. I don't know if I ever caught that before. That's a good catch. This is one of the things that's something I'd probably just gloss over via audiobook. So, because this is my first time actually like reading, reading. So, Rashon comes out, looks at the crowd with a look as if he'd swallowed something bitter with the other two that we had noted there. He shakes his head and then turns to climb back into the carriage. And then Cal's like shocked because he's not going to say anything. Uh-huh. Cal is still so desperate to hold on to his mental image. He's like, well, I guess we could expect a warrior to be Kurt. <laughs> Right? <laughs> the heroes from Legends weren't always necessarily the polite types. <laughs> Killing people and fancy talking just didn't always go together. So, yeah, like Khaled is still just like, you know, he, he really clings to this until about the time he's in the slave wagons going to the Shattered Plains. So he just desperately holds on to somewhere there is an honorable light eyes for me to follow. Somewhere. And then in the end, the one he picks turns out to at one point have not necessarily been the most honorable light eyes, but yeah, so then we kind of reach the end of the chapter here at this point with the true namesake of the chapter can read us out. Take it away, Cody. Well, Hasina said, trying to sound cheerful, 
What do you think? Did we throw the queen? Or the tower? Neither. Oh? And what did we throw instead? I'm not sure, he said, glancing over his shoulder. A pear and a trio, maybe? Let's get back home. Tian scratched his head in confusion, but the words weighed on Cal. The tower was three pairs in a game of breakneck. The queen was two trios. The first was an outright loss. The other, an outright win. But a pair in a trio, that was called the butcher. Whether you won or not would depend on the other throws you made. And more importantly, on the throws of everyone else. And that is just a beautiful, ominous note. Mm-hmm. A backflash on. Yeah. It has that foreshadowing because we know a little bit of what happens. But by this point, you know a little bit of what's happened. Like he's obviously not in Hearthstone when he's a slave. <laughs> just a beautiful, ominous note. Yep. Speaks to why I like Sanderson's writing so much. Because even in a backflash, he puts an ominous foreshadow. And with that, I think we're ready to wrap up. Yep. Unless you've got anything else. Just as a a note for listeners, this is the third Kaladin flashback episode that we have done. And so we are about halfway through our planned number of flashback episodes. So we should have three more Kaladin flashback episodes to get through the rest of his history pre-Way of Kings, so we can't wait for you to join us for those. Well, would you like to close us out? Yes, close us out. So we would like to thank you for joining us today. As always, journey before destination, and we hope you'll return to Roshar with us again next time. Boom. Boom, 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 boom. Boom.